Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Cookie Jar Golf Podcast. We have just wrapped up the podcast with Matt Faldo and Keith Wood from the Faldo series. I just wanted to drop a quick note on the top of this pod to say that we had some technical difficulties with Matt's audio. Please do bear with us. It's, it's all done over Zoom, so it's quite difficult to, um, to get it right every time. It's not perfect by any means, but the content in there is absolutely perfect. So it's well worth a listen because these guys are doing some fantastic things for the junior game. So without any further ado, here's the podcast. Watch this. Welcome back to another episode of the Cookie Jar Golf Podcast. Today I'm joined by Bruce Fitzpatrick. Hello. And we've got two guests from the Faldo series. We've got Matt Faldo. Say hello, Matt. Good evening, all. <laughs> Good boy. And we've got former Irish international rugby player, Keith Wood. Keith, how are you doing? <laughs> hello. <laughs> Obviously not the rugby player, but does get confused every now and again online. Uh, gents, how are we? Thank you for joining the podcast. We're good, thanks. Very good. Yeah, very well. Thank you. Thanks for having us. And we're just off the back of the recent Faldo series just finished, the 24th and 25th. How, how does it feel to get them done and dusted? Obviously, you've had a bit of a bit of a pickle with COVID. How does it feel to get them out of the way? Yeah, really good uh, to get the two seasons sort of done. Um, obviously, last year we had pretty much everything lined up good to go but then uh yeah the world changed march last year um we ended up having pretty much a season just across the uk um last year and then just as we were going to announce bringing our U- oh, sorry our, our grand final from the middle east uh back to the uk we all went back into our sort of local lockdowns we still promised the kids that they would get through to a grand final and then uh, that just obviously became it a year later. We had again this year a UK season and uh, yeah, just great to, great to finally wrap up the two seasons um, and start start fresh next year. But nice to nice to finish the 25th year um, with with a great event at Rocket Hill. So, I mean, tell us a little bit about yourselves. Keith, we'll start with you. Tell us a little bit about yourselves and how you got into the game and more, more importantly, how you got into the Faldo series and, and what you do at the Faldo series. Um, yeah, I, uh, like most people, I got into the game because it was a hobby stroke passion um, and, um, and ultimately that sort of progressed into something a bit more serious. Um, and with, as with everybody, I wanted to be a tournament player. Uh, that was the dream always was the dream and has been the dream. And then sort of it, it morphed really because I started to help a few players. And, and at a very early age, I, I helped a, uh, a tour player, a couple of tour players actually. Um, and, um, they did particularly well. And as with anything, you know, these things tend to follow. Um, and I realized that I probably was the, better communicator than I was a player and I was probably going to make more of a career out of um, out of that side of things than, than than playing the game which on the one hand was great but on the other hand was slightly I was slightly too young to make that decision you know I, sometimes you can't you don't have the uh, uh, 
the privilege of time to make those decisions. And so I was sort of um, early to mid-20s when I made that decision to go. I tried to play and coach at the same time, and that just never works. Um, mm. But looking back, I was, far, I was way too inquisitive about the golf swing. I was way too um, experimental, and that really had an effect on my game but made me probably the coach I am today. Um, sort of fast-tracking forward, um, ironically, actually, I was uh, the head pro at uh, Brockett Hall where we had the grand final for, for many years, which was a fantastic uh, place to be at the time. Um, and um, during, during that period and during my coaching of tour players, um, I taught uh, Seve Ballesteros, but then more appropriately, um, Senec Faldo. And with my coaching of him, it, and the expansion of the Faldo series, it um, it became clear to him as we moved into Europe that um, it would make a, a good thing if I went and represented him out in Europe from a professional golf standpoint. So Iceland 2006 was our first um, our first venture actually into Europe, which was which was fantastic because you know for us as the Faldo series we want to go and and make a difference if we can in, in, in communities and, and countries that don't really have a golf culture. And I think Iceland was pretty the epitome of yeah. that at the time. And, um, and I remember, you know, going into there and, and it's unusual that every, every participant wants a golf lesson, but it did happen. It's never happened since, but, 70 kids wanted a golf lesson of Sir Nick Faldo's coach. And so for hours and hours and hours into the night um, at a driving range, floodlit driving range, I was delighted to do it because it was, it was, it, it was exactly what we, what we wanted to try and do is, uh, is try and make a difference. Um, so, so that sort of then snowballed and we started to move into, into other, other countries, Turkey, Russia, Greece, uh, Slovakia, Czech Republic, um, Germany. I'm going to clearly forget someone, which I apologize for, but um, all these countries or most of these countries didn't really have any sort of golf culture whatsoever. Um, mm. And we were putting on, as we do today, you know, professionally run golf tournaments. And on the side of it, I would go in, I'd work with a percentage of players. Some don't quite rightly, they don't want to mess what they're doing uh, in a tournament, which is fair enough. Some others struggle in the tournament and want my help. Others are inquisitive enough to sort of do it at the end of the tournament. Um, sometimes I just leave my contacts and, and you know, it's months later that someone gets in contact with me and says, can you review my golf swing? It, it really doesn't matter how we, how we end up helping. Um, yeah. And, and the, and the other one, which is a fantastic one for me, is to go in and help coaches. Do you do a lot of coach development as well? Yeah, we'll work with, um, I think Brazil is a per perfect example. We go into Brazil and, and uh, again, as you probably know, it's a, it's a developing golf country. Um, we've been going there over 10 years and we would go in there and work with the federation coaches, so the top coaches they've got, uh, right the way through down to some literally just some teachers school teachers from some of the favelas you know which are um, whether you know are the slums really um and so you've got your top and the toe there you've got somebody that that may just be able to make a difference to some kids in the slums to 
show them the game, you know, literally just give them the basics so that they can impart that on anybody, you know, any, any kid that wants to have a go, they might get into the caddy programs, which we've had, you know, we've had some wonderful successes of bringing those kids down from the favelas into the caddy programs. And it's not just us. I have to say that, you know, there's an awful lot of, lot of good work being done by others over there. Um, and then before you know it, they're playing the game. And before you know it, we're taking them around the world to grand finals, which we've had, um, with, uh, with a number of cases. And it's, it's quite incredible actually. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I guess we hear nowadays about, you know, making golf more diverse and accessible and, and so many initiatives to, you know, that are in service of those two goals. And in many ways, it seems the Faldo series back in 1996 was, was a pioneer really in, in that sense. Um, and I guess at the founding, I mean, you, you mentioned there, Keith, about how it's grown into this real global series that quite interestingly balances both, you know, really introducing parts of the world that have no experience of golf or not really much of a golf culture, but also bringing up some of the best players, best young players in the world, the likes of Rory McIlroy, giving them starts and the kind of exposure, not just to tournament pressure, but also just wider you know, um, media pressures and, and so on that go with playing the game. Um, is that always, did it always have such a broad ambition, do you think, in terms of not just the geographical scope, but also, you know, introducing um, people with, with not really much experience of golf, but also bringing up the kind of next, the next Nick Faldos, so to speak. I, th- I think with a, with a lot of these things, um, you know, as, as it's well documented, uh, it started with Nick being asked, where's the Nick, next Nick Faldo coming from when he won the masters in 96. Um, and out of that, he went and tried to do something, uh, with his management and started that in the UK. And then, as I've just said, we moved in, in in sort of the mid, uh, two thousands to, uh, Turkey and onwards. And these things, they, they, they have a momentum all by themselves and, and they still do. And we have that momentum right now, you know, we've got so many exciting things that we want to achieve in the expansion and and not just expanding but also building on the platform of a golf tournament and what do we do when we're at that golf tournament and how do we mm. improve that and develop that and and you know so i i, I don't think there was never the plan there was there wasn't a plan i don't believe you know mm-hmm. uh, nick, yeah. nick, needs, nick needs to answer <laughs> that one i wasn't around in 96 as part of the faldo series but um it just gains momentum and um, for it to continue for 25 years, mm. it has to be constantly refreshed and improved. And you've got to, and, and like anything, like the game of golf, don't be afraid to change direction. Don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to try new things. And I think that's, you know, it's, that's exactly where we've gone. You know, we've gone through a whole period of, of, of evolution. Uh, we're now, you know, we're, we're embarking on uh, Latin America. COVID has put that on the backbone a little bit. You know, um, we're, we're talking to Nigeria. Um, we're in South Africa, you know, Australia, New Zealand, you know, all these wonderful, you know, right across Asia. So, um, yeah, we just, keep, we just keep going. I don't think there was a plan. I mean, it's some achievement, really, to get 25 years of anything and, and, and still be going strong and looking to develop and things. Um, Matt, we haven't said it explicitly, but uh, as Sunik being your father, and obviously you not being around at the found, foundation of, 
of, of the Faldo series. When did you, when did you step in and, and, and make it a priority in, in your life? And, and how is it sort of, how is it day to day for you? Yeah. So I actually started working just in my placement year at university. Uh, so my third year and then really enjoyed it. Um, about to go back, back to uni to finish my degree, but then came pretty much straight back, um, to the series. So yeah, I've done over 10 years now. Um, as my, yes, yeah, my day to day job. So, um, just organizing the events, always constantly looking for new venues, new countries, partners, uh, working with existing partners. Um, as Keith said, you know, there's, there's lots of different areas and regions that we can look into, whether we want to, yeah, focus on Europe and go to some new developing countries there. Um, Asia, plenty of developing countries. Um, and then looking at all the new little modern, modern technologies, you know, we, I mean, I'm trying to think now, six or seven years ago, now we started using live leaderboards, you know, mm-hmm. uh, working with OCS software. We now do our, we do all our scoring on our Faldo series app and, you know, the kids do the, you get the instant live leaderboards and things like that. I mean, when I very first started, it was you know, write it, write it down on a board type thing and taking paper scorecards, you know, well, why don't we still do that? But you know what I mean? It's those sort of things. And and then now the last couple of years we've been doing live streaming. So again, shoving cameras on the, on the final groups of the players. So, you know, there's just that added pressure of, oh, wow, this is, this is something new. I've never had a camera follow me um, as I'm trying to win a competition, let alone just, uh, think about how I'm presented to to people watching me and things like that. So, um, that's, that's just in a qualifier. And then obviously once we go to grand finals, we've got dad around to, to give clinics, Keith to give clinics and passing all their expertise and knowledge. So then the kids are learning, getting used to traveling and tasting different foods. You know, we used to, we used to go to China and I remember, you know, they have their delicacy of chicken feet. And I think a lot of the kids didn't really <laughs> eat dinner that night, but you know, it's something new. It's something new. And, you know, now we go, now we go to Vietnam, um, and have done for pretty much the last five years. And again, it's, I mean, that's phenomenal. I thoroughly enjoy those trips, but it's all, it's all those added experiences. And, and then equally going almost back to the original question with Keith, you know, making the series as professional as possible. I think that was mm. one of dad's real uh, aims and objectives to make series properly professionally run events. Um, so the kids know, they know they're playing in something important because um, equally that adds a little bit of pressure or, you know, it's, and gives a bit of stature and, and then giving them the extra opportunities. Again, working with the European tour, the kids have played on, uh, challenge tour, sort of European tour events. The girls play with the ladies European tour, um, Asian Axis series, things like that. Um, just have them on the way to the professional ranks, really. Yeah. I mean, it was interesting. Um, 
having been having attended the 24th and 25th grand finals which happened at the, at the same event at the same time um you talked there about your, your your live scoreboards and it was quite cool that as as an attendee of an event of an amateur event you know you can see oh they're on they're on the 14th hole this person's coming in she's four shots better than everybody else and all the cameras go there and it's all the pressure and um that sort of experience is going to is going to help them in the long term if they do try and turn professional do you think that the 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 kids now are more professional than they were 25 years ago or do do you think they've always just been switched on with it i think um i definitely think they are i mean the the what they're experiencing at national level which most most of these these kids will have experienced sort of um their federations um at national level, whether it's, they might not have made the the first team, if you like, but they will be part of the whole tier aspect. And as a result of that, they are like Matthew's just said, you know, in, in our small way, we're, we're preparing them for those TV moments for those, you know, it's, it's not inconceivable. And, and I think, you know, there's many Rory McElroy was part of um, team Faldo in 2006 maybe 2007 which we had at rocket hall which was a different thing where we picked a few a few um of our team of our of our faldo series players and they had a privilege of spending a year with nick um and we took them to florida we took them to ireland we in this case we took them to rocket hall and so at 17 he's in that environment playing a faldo series sort of team faldo and the events that we do and then in the in 2007, he's playing a practice round with Sir Nick at Carnoustie in the Open. Mm-hmm. Now, that I, I, I lose the passage of time in a sense. That, so I can't remember whether it was 2006. It probably was. And then and then obviously July in 2007, um, he's teeing it up uh, in the Open in the worst weather conditions um, at the Open, and he's 17 and he's turned pro. So. And that's not unusual, you know. Obviously, we know Rory's gone on to superstardom, but um, it's 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 applicable to a lot of our uh, players that have gone on to to be professionals, both girls and boys. You know, it's, and back in my day and Nick's day and Sevy's day, and you know, you had no preparation, and you were actually turning pro younger then. You probably leave it later now, um, but back then you would turn pro um, earlier um for, for a number of reasons but there's no way you were prepared so you had to spend you know months <laughs> months yeah literally i mean i think ian Poulter um sort of says it almost that that his his uh asset was the fact that he embraced the bravado of standing up next to his heroes and trying to beat them and for every ian Poulter, there's probably 50 or a hundred that just the knees are knocking and, and they're looking at that person to say, wow, um, I don't really deserve to be here type yeah. of, <laughs> and you've got to get over that. You've got to, you've got to change that mindset very quickly. And, and as you know, with the tour, you, you don't have long before you've missed cut after cut after cut and you're on the, on your knees literally. And that may be in your shot at, at, at what you wanted to do for the rest of your life. So today's world is far better in, 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 in getting them to that stage and getting them prepared. And then it's really down to them. 
what do the um, format or the, the overall kind of structure of the events look like today then? Um, we mentioned obviously the, the 24th and 25th anniversary um, that, that recently occurred at, at Brockett Hall. Um, how, like what, you know, for a parent or a kid who's listening to this podcast, and they want to know how they could kind of get involved and what that pathway is from, from really getting involved at the beginning and hopefully making it through to a grand final. What does that, what does that look like? Each of our events, whether that's uh, UK, Europe, Asia, um, are 54-hole tournaments. So that means they get world amateur ranking points. Um, we typically do do a cut after 36 holes, just so then that gives a little bit of added pressure as well, something through the tournament. Um, it's boys and girls, um, which is, again, sort of unique to the series and have been for 25 years. Um, so we then play in age categories. You've got under-16s, under-18s, under-21 boys, uh, under-16s and under-21 girls. They'll play their uh gross stroke play tournament for 54 holes. And then the five age category winners uh, from the qualifier go through to their respective grand final. So for example, uh, we had about 15 events across Europe, UK and Europe, which included Middle East and Brazil. Um, those qualifiers would then go through to our grand final in the Middle East. The same happens all across Asia um, with all those qualifiers, and then but they go into an Asian grand final. Once you get to your European and your Asian grand final, exactly the same again. Your age categories, fifty-four holes, um, and then the five age category winners there. So much like what we just had last week. So those five age category winners of the European grand final final their prize is to go to the asian grand final in vietnam and vice versa so the asians then come over to to the europe grand final additionally to that the overall winner the overall boy and the overall girl uh that's where we give them professional tour starts so hence european tour challenge tour asian tour ladies development tour, um, sorry asian development tour um and that's sort of your your playing privileges. We did have a separate tournament, the Major Champions Invitational, which um, had stopped from COVID. But again, that was another. It, what I'm getting at is it just doesn't stop just at the Valdo yeah. series. So we will kind of keep an eye on them and see what if there's any other opportunities. That, kids, kids, that may be um, now 22, 23, 24, so past the series. But you know, if if they need a little bit of support or if we can look to help them get onto a challenge tour start or something like that, you know, we'll, we'll look to do it. So, um, that's, that's kind of how the structure works. And those regional events, Matt, are they, um, are they just open? Are they open for anyone to, to go in or do you have to qualify for them? Or how does that work? Uh, yeah, they're open. Um, the only real restrictions is obviously we, we kind of have a, a very loose, well, not a loose, um, sort of, handicap guide i would say in terms of per age category to enter into each of the tournaments but then obviously depending on the entry numbers we may have to do a ballot so the cut okay. uh may be obviously lower lower than that so which is a big thing obviously the kids are the kids are always conscious of their handicaps and bits and pieces into getting into these tournaments but you know I always just say, you know, go, go play, go play some good golf and everything takes care of itself. Yeah. And you mentioned there, um, a, a little bit earlier, Keith, that you might have some players 
not only at the events, but also a couple of months down the line, reach out for a bit of coaching. Is there still that, that kind of loose sort of infrastructure and a bit of support and the kind of wisdom of, of, you know, all these great people who are associated with the Faldo series. And obviously, you know, Sir Nick being, being right at the top of that, who could, who the players can kind of maybe lean on a little bit um, in the future and kind of get some counsel of the, you know, to deal with the pressures of, of professional golf and, and making that next step. Yes, definitely. Without a doubt. Um, there isn't, there isn't a country or an event I go to where I don't give my, uh, personal number, email, whatever, out to just go, look, let's follow up. I mean, it might be somebody mm. I'm working with at the tournament and that we, we want that continuity to continue. And it's not just me and the player. I mean, it, it could be me, the player, and, and their coach. You know, this is about, you know, I live and work very much in an isolated sport. It's an individual sport. Coaching, per se, you know, you deal with a pupil, um, student uh, as opposed to it so it's, for us it's about sharing knowledge or should be mm -hmm. about sharing knowledge but sometimes just how how we we're structured we can't you know it's 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 you and a student and, and that's it um so for me to get out on the road and uh and be able to talk to a number of of, of players parents sponsors um members of that club it doesn't matter it doesn't stop and so invariably I will leave contact details. Now it's fantastic, isn't it? I mean, blimey, we, you know, the week after they can send me a complete slow-mo video of their golf swing and, and it's like being in the room with them. Um, you know, I can analyze it from my studio back at base, uh, send them comments. Um, and that sometimes lasts years, you know, I'm, I'm still dealing with, with kids of, they're not kids anymore. They're, they've gone on, some have turned pro, and, and they ping me the odd thing and just go, what do you think to this? Uh, I'm not their coach. They've got their own coaches. They've got their own expertise. But it's just, a, it's just another voice. It's another opportunity for them to sort of, I guess, uh, learn, but also build some confidence in the fact that it's a second opinion, third opinion. And Sinek is no different. You know, Sinek has spent countless hours uh, helping and, and mentoring and um, and being that voice as well. And, of course, through the various social medias and Twitters and what have you, um, that's, that is a lot easier. So, yeah, it's, it's, um, I, I think we pride ourselves on very much that we don't mm. just run a golf tournament and leave. Mm. There, there is that opportunity to, um, to follow up and, uh, uh, and continue the dialogue with them. You want to be careful, Keith, because Bruce is our resident swing tinkerer, and he's he's probably got he's got more pictures on his phone of his golf swing than he has of his dog. It's um, <laughs> oh, hang on, I've just had one come through. Pic pictures, oh, right, yeah. sorry, <laughs> sorry, Thomas. Pic pictures, pictures of a golf swing. Oh, sorry, the most mate, po po pointless thing going. Yeah, come on. If, sorry, if, if you're gonna if you're gonna insult me, at least do it right. Um, <laughs> but no, seriously, I, I, on on that note, I mean, it must be quite interesting for um for you guys with the global reach now, the Faldo series to go to a lot of different countries and see maybe different, or, yeah, I guess to a certain extent, different cultures around golf. I guess a lot is made of the American college setup and how that's fairly prolific for breeding, um, you know, 
professionals who are almost just they come out and they they start winning golf tournaments um you know straight away and maybe there's a bit of recency bias there with with Morikawa and Matt Wolf and Hovland and so on but yeah I mean is there anything there that that stands out when you go to these different places and I guess maybe coming from a UK background just how different cultures different countries go about um you know nurturing their their young golfers of the next generation I think I think from our point of view um you know, you quite rightly, you mentioned, you know, the States and, and the college system, the UK, uh, the players here are, they've got plenty of coaching and plenty of support through counties, federations. Um, uh, they've got their own coaches, their own psychs, their own biomechanics, you know, they're, they're, they're completely well catered. So, so that's why we don't take any coaching or any sort of um, fringe expertise into the UK events and, um, North America. So for us, it's really about getting into those, those countries that perhaps haven't had any access to, um, elite coaching or, uh, the, the coaches need support and, 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 and some, and some, some guidance, some knowledge, some, you know, some confidence boosting that might be doing a fantastic job, but I've already mentioned how isolated coaching can be. You know, you, you see it in, in other sports, don't you? I mean, how how um, uh, how lonely is a football manager's job uh, mm. standing on the on the touchline when he's lost five in a row uh, or whatever? And it's the same with a golf coach. So sometimes that that those coaches are doing all the right things, and they just need to be told that um, for them to be released onto a you know that confidence boosting other times they need knowledge they need you know they're they're hankering after knowledge um so that would be our market of getting in to those areas those countries those those golfing cultures or 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 certainly embryonic golfing cultures to really make a difference if possible um and when whenever we go into those it's embraced wholeheartedly it's quite incredible uh Mm. how they are they'll sometimes the faldo series golf event is the pinnacle of their season because mm, yeah. they don't, they're not, you know, over here we're spoiled and the States is definitely spoiled with, with events of stature to compete in. And the, and these youngsters, have, uh, you know, they can do one, one a week if they want to. Whereas, you know, we've had um, situations in, in Europe where we've had players when we've had, we've had a qualifier in Austria, Czech Republic, Germany, Poland, Slovakia, all sort of bordering each other. And some of these kids just go on a mini tour just with the Faldo series. And so they'll, they'll go from one to another until they qualify or, or, or create a tour because they, our events hold world ranking points. They just keep playing in those because they don't maybe get that opportunity in their own, in their own countries. So that's our, um, our markets have gone off a tangent a little bit, but I don't know what the original question was. It's all good. (laughs) It's, uh, it all leads into sort of the, the professionalism that, that, that you guys are trying to, to, to breed out there. I mean, you've had some fairly, fairly good success stories um, that have come through the Faldo series. Um, is it difficult to say goodbye, you know, when, when they, once they've accomplished what they can with you? Um, and do you try and keep ties and get them to do sort of public speaking, that sort of thing? And, uh, you know, I know Doherty did the presentation at the beginning of the 24th and 25th yeah. is that something you try and cultivate yeah and then when you do see guys and girls making it onto the professional tours you're sort of yeah it's it's 
quite nice actually it's um I suppose some can be quite unexpected, but then others are just like, oh, yeah, you know, you kind of they you can sense yeah. some kids have have something and they are much more driven than the others, or or just that little bit more talent. You know, they're they're winning consistently. Yeah, it's it's always great to see them to see them go on to do to do well. I mean, we've probably got seventy plus kids now that are I say kids, they're now adults. You know, on on, yeah. on professional tours, so. Yeah, we've got a decent, decent alumni list, and yeah, we love to keep in touch with them. Um, we would love them to come in and be involved and give back even more so. Um, obviously, at Brockett Hall, we just had Nick Doherty, which was which was really great. I mean, going all full circle right back to the very beginning of the Faldo series when he won the very first grand final, he won three out of the first four. Um, that was actually my my start of the grand of. Uh, being associated with the Paddis series. I was there at the grand final when, when Nick won the first year. I was a I was an annoying eight-year-old um, running yeah. around and, and interrupting Dad's clinic. But um yeah, he, he was great to come back and speak with the kids and tell tell them his stories. And obviously at that time dad was, you know, right up at the top of the game and for him to him to be for, for Nick, that is Nick Dirty, to be exposed to dad hitting balls and just passing on that knowledge, you know, exactly as we've just been speaking about for, for the last 20 odd minutes. You know, they didn't have kids, didn't really have those sort of experiences back in those in those days. So, um, yeah, to, to pass on all that information at that, that time and then fast forward 25 years for him coming back was, uh, yeah, it was really great. The other fantastic thing, and and Nick Doherty is an absolutely perfect example of it, is that he's sort of gone through the series. He turned professional. He is a multiple winner on tour. um, And for whatever reason, um, that didn't continue. But a lot of our players, like me, start, start off with this dream of being a tournament player, but end up seeing an industry that, that they could be, they could be anything in, you know, it's, yeah. it's vast. Um, Nick Dote is a perfect example. He's now a fantastic uh, uh, golf pundit and, and commentator. Um, others would go into my side of things, into coaching or, or, um, or become club professionals or psychologists or biomechanics. They might, you know, and so, you know, one of the things we, we often have done, we've, we've embraced people coming in to talk to our players some of the PGAs, for instance, come in um, and talk about life after tournament golf or instead of tournament golf. You know, not every every participant of a Faldo series has the dream of professional golf. They they might be fine amateurs and enjoying the game and, and they might have their eye on becoming a physiotherapist or something else, which, you know, golf offers them that, that uh, opportunity. So uh, to have Nick there... Uh, starting as a Faldo Series winner, going on to win on tour, um, ending, uh, not ending because he's now embarking on a completely new career in media, in golf, is very, very powerful for these um, these players to see. I mean, your list of uh, of alumni is, is truly extraordinary. I, I know that through your ranks, you've had the likes of Mel Reed and Megan Kang and more recently things like Tom Lewis and Till Hatton and Matt Wallace and... I know this is going to be like picking your favorite child. I do uh-huh. apologize, but who, who are we looking out for? Who are the names in, you know, 
that in five years we're going to say, Christ, these guys went through the Valdo series. Wow, that's tricky. <laughs> well, yeah, actually, no, um, to, not to not to preempt an answer there too much, but I mean, Matt, you did say earlier there are some guys who you kind of nail on as superstars from an early age, and I guess there's none better, you know, no example better than Rory McIlroy there, but. Um, there are also some who surprise you. I mean, is it, yeah. It, are there any traits there that you think you can kind of draw on when you try and answer that impossibly difficult question that Tom's just posed <laughs> or, or is it, is it actually just a little bit, is it a bit of a, a random kind of, yeah. Anyone's guess really. I think there's more surprises really than, than there are guaranteed ones. Mm. I think we've had, we've had a number of players that, you know, they've, got to plus five handicaps, uh, turned pro, got their cards, and you just think, wow, okay, you know, they're shoe-ins. And it, for whatever reason, it just hasn't happened. Yeah. And then, and, and the both girls and boys, this is. And then all of a sudden, you just you happen upon a name and you just think, wow, okay, <laughs> where yeah. did they shoot from, you know? Mm, yeah. I think so much of it comes down to drive, isn't it? If you if you're driven, it takes a certain mentality to survive on tour. I think as well because it's it is a very very lonely place to be. That, that was actually exactly what I was going to say. You can tell with some kids that have got a proper work ethic. I mean, just last week, and we we use the example all the time. There's a guy called Pavel Mac in uh, Slovakia, and I mean, he's played in the series now for a good five six years incredibly shy at the beginning has sort of grown. He, 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 he won his age category under 16s, but an incredibly shy guy. And then over time now he's much more confident, like complete, like completely different person. But every time we've been to Slovakia, he is always the one at the end of the day, still smacking balls on the range. He's mm. constantly grinding. He's by oh, God knows how long he's worked with you, Keith, on, on the range. So, yeah. Hey, you never know if he, he's going to make it, but at least, you know, he's going to give it a damn good shot. Um, mm. and, and then just those sort of countries as well. I mean, a lot of them are we really trying to get off to college in America or something like that, just to give them that next stepping stone where, you know, they haven't, haven't got the opportunities at home. So, um, but then equally, equally, yeah, you always know. I, I always remember, I mean, the interesting one when Rory came back in 2011, he was US Open champion, but technically was still young enough to qualify if he wanted to for the under 21s. So, you know, <laughs> it was quite, that was quite exciting for the kids to see someone their age, but is a major champion already. Um, similarly in age in Asia, uh, NASA Hatioka won, I think she won an age category in the Asia grand final. And then literally a year later, she's playing on the LPGA tour and doing really, really well. So it's sort of, yeah, as, as we all know, some burst onto the scene and others are a bit slow burners, especially if they go to college, maybe, you know, that's almost not, not delaying it or anything, but, you know, it gives them another three or four years to actually hone their, hone their skills and, uh, and then be really ready for professional life. Should they, should they choose it? There's also a good stepping stone as well to know if you're not good enough. I know we've sort of touched on that as well. You know, so many times you can come across kids 
and they and actually they can be quite uh very good at the self sort of self-reflection going you know what i'm not good enough yeah. but i'm going to try and use golf to get myself maybe a scholarship in america or something like that i'm going to enjoy mm. my golf for four more years of competitive stuff get an education and then move so mm. you know it's a bit like as keith touched on when he knew to sort of make the change to become a coach you you can you never really know when the penny's going to drop for any of us when we when we can't make it unfortunately i was very very young when i knew <laughs> <laughs> I, I was i, I kind of know as well i mean the one thing i would say that for all of us is, is golf is a it's an incredible vehicle for for whatever you want to do in the world i mean we just like the sound of our own voice so it works really well because we started a podcast so that was quite good um it must be incredibly rewarding to to, to work with the, the 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 kids that you work with and and do the things you do i mean you're 25 years in I know we've, I'm conscious we've taken a lot of your time and we'll look to, to finish it off. What, what does the future look like, do you think, for the Faldo series? Mm. Well, well, yeah, firstly, yeah, it's incredibly rewarding. Um, yeah, I thoroughly enjoy going to the tournaments. My favourite is always going to the grand finals when everybody sort of comes together around the world um, and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, that's where the series sort of comes to life, that the kids have never had the opportunity to play against international players um, and then to see them, as we've spoken about them, see them progressing and winning age categories and almost surprising you going, wow, okay, they, they did do well. Um, as the series going, um, I mean, it's a little similar about 15 years ago when we sort of expanded into Asia um, with the RNA, we're, massive supporters and ha as they have been from from day one you know asia was the next region to go to i think me personally in time latin america is the next region um would love to potentially set up a whole series there um who knows where, how africa goes uh, in time as well there's plenty of countries that are, are playing golf um, and actually the series would probably be a good benefit to some of them as well, just to give them that opportunity. Um, I think we touched on this as well, even at, at the grand final, you know, the good thing about the series is we can connect the world in any way, shape or form that we want to work. Like mm. I was saying, Europe goes to Asia, Asia comes to Europe. We can have North America to South America, you know, Africa, what do Europe, we yeah. everywhere is possible these days, which is, which is great. So, um, I would say it's not so much, it's, it's more quality over quantity, definitely. Um, just having good, strong events and going to places that we can make a real difference, I would say. I think that sounds like the uh, the perfect place to finish because it, it is all about making a difference. And what you guys are doing mm. with the Faldo Foundation, the Faldo Series is absolutely brilliant. So um, from the bottom of our hearts, guys, keep up the good work and um, we wish you all the best for the future. Yeah, keep it going, guys. Thanks, thanks for your time, and thanks for allowing us to share it. Pleasure. No, no, not a problem at all. Thank you for Watch coming on. This.